This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning. I hope you've had a wonderful weekend. I hope you're enjoying your morning. Um, if I haven't got to, to meet you, my name is Jairus. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. And, and while I've been at Life Church, I, I've, had, I've had several different roles that I've kind of functioned in. You may have just seen the, right now, my, my role is the Cedar Rapids campus pastor. Uh, and if you don't know anything about that, uh, what's happening is, is in 2020, we're actually going to be launching our first satellite campus in Cedar Rapids. It's, uh, it's very, ex- what God is doing is, is nothing short of, of, of just so exciting. What God is doing is nothing short of miraculous, that we see God moving mountains, and we believe that what God is doing here, he's asking us to carry now into Cedar Rapids, and so we're very excited about this campus launching. We can't wait to be a part of it. Come on, let's celebrate that. I love, I love that. Well, this morning, uh, I, I'm going to finish up, conclude our series that we've, we've been going uh, of uncommon. And, um, and I just want to pause for a second because you know what I think is uncommon? Uh, I think daylight savings time is uncommon. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, feel like that this has been a very unnatural week? Okay, I've been struggling this week. I'm not going to lie to you. And, and I, I knew it was rough. Uh, I mean, I, I knew it was, you know, light in the morning at 4.30, you know, and it was dark at like 5 o'clock p.m., but... Um, I knew it was bad when I looked over and I saw Judah, our two-and-a-half-year-old, laying on the ground. Uh, he was laying on the floor with his head on a pillow, mouth breathing, like, <sighs> like he's just laying there breathing heavy at like, and I looked at the clock, I'm like, man, it must be bedtime. And it's like 6.15, and I'm like, golly, like, well, this is crazy. But you know who I, I was thinking about, this, you know who I don't think got the memo this week? was our poor dog. Anybody else in this room have dogs? Okay, <laughs> our dog is way, way off. She is, uh, she, so she gets up with me uh, every day at six, but now she's up at five, okay? So she wakes up at five, she desperately needs to go outside, so I go downstairs, I put her on the leash, I go outside with her, and then it snowed, okay? So it snowed, and so I take her outside with the leash, and she, she walks around and she sniffs, and as she's sniffing the snow, Something that, a phenomenon happens that I, I don't know any technical way to explain it, but I think what happens is she gets a brain freeze, okay? Sniffs the snow, gets a brain freeze, and then something happens and she just loses her mind. She wants to run, she wants to chase, she wants to do everything. And I'm standing behind her wearing Abby's slippers because they're the only shoes I could find by the door and, and getting drugged around the yard. All, all that to say, uh, I have not been a fan of daylight savings time this year. It has been rough. I hope yours is going a little bit better. But um, throughout this series, Uncommon, what we've been doing is we've been looking at uh, this letter uh, that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. And we're reading it from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and Paul writes to a very young church, uh, and he's pleading with them, saying this. He's saying, uh, would you live lives that are not common? Don't live lives that are ordinary or what everyone else is doing, but live uncommon lives because you've come in contact with such an uncommon gospel, right? That gospel is so life-changing. Let your lives reflect that. And so as we've gone through this series uh, and as I've been reading 1 Thessalonians, uh, I was reminded of the story that I heard a couple years ago. It's a story of this woman by the name of Gladys Aylward. You can, there's a picture of her right behind her. She's the one right up there. And, um, and Gladys Aylward was born around 1902 in London. At the age of 14, she started working uh, as a maid in a wealthy home. And uh, during that time, she met Jesus, gave her life to Jesus, and her life was radically changed forever. Uh, She began to ask God, hey, God, what would you have me do? 
Lord, what, what, would you, uh, what would you have for my life? And she could not shake this idea of China. So she, she couldn't explain it. She just felt so strongly that she was supposed to be a missionary to China. She told God, hey, God, I, I don't get it, but I'm willing. That next semester, she enrolled in a missionary training program and was actually denied from the program. They said that they didn't feel like she was a good fit to go because she was a single woman with no financial backing. She, she had a learning disability and she didn't speak Mandarin, so she didn't know the language. Um, and they just felt like that she was not a good fit uh, and they didn't, didn't actually give her the, uh, the, the, ministry or the uh, missionary training. So Gladys decided that she wasn't going to let that stop her. So 28-year-old, little five-foot-tall Gladys Aylward sold all of her belongings packed two suitcases full of canned goods, grabbed a bedroll, and bought a one-way ticket to China. She said that she was going to go do it. She was going to change lives. When she arrived in China, uh, she began helping out, helping run an inn for mule drivers, which I don't know what that was like, okay? I just, you can just imagine, okay? She's helping run this inn for mule drivers, and over the next year, uh, just by her interactions with people coming in, she began to learn the language. She began to learn uh, how to talk to them, she, and she just began to tell people about Jesus, a lot of people gave their lives to Jesus, but then, then what really happened was, uh, was crazy. The country of China at this time found itself at war with Japan, and, uh, and many, there, there, there were casualties all over the area, and actually many of the children had been orphaned because of, because of this, the casualties of war. So Gladys just did what she could. She just began to take children in, into the inn and just take care of them and help them out. Um, and then as time went on, she, she adopted them. She said, I'm, I'm going to start adopting some of these children as, as my own. Well, things got a little bit out of hand because Gladys went on to adopt over 100 children um, as her own. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I have two, and that's scary. Uh, but she adopts over 100 uh, Chinese orphans. And when I read this story, this is what I believe. I believe that those children were her life's calling. Even though she didn't know it, even though she didn't know who she was going to China for, she, they were the reason that she never gave up. They were the reason. Everything she'd done was for these children. She loved them. She told them about Jesus, led them to a, a relationship with Jesus. And actually, in, in the process, uh, she helped them escape from, from this war zone, escape through the mountains, and, and actually saved over 100 children's lives just by helping them escape. And this kind of love is the kind of love that they, write, they make movies about, right? There is, there, actually, there is a movie about this. Um, but this is the kind of love that changes people's lives, right? This is the kind of love that can heal what others have damaged for years. It's the kind of love that can point people to a life in Jesus that they never knew. The kind of love that, that nobody expects but that everybody wants is a love like this. And when I hear stories like this, can I, can I just be honest with you what, what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of you. I'm reminded of Life Church. I'm reminded of, of the things that I have seen in the time that I've been here. See, you're the kind of church that loves people by, by filling up red bags with Thanksgiving dinners that, for people that they've never met. You're the kind of church that, that donates money for Christmas presents so people who, who need it can, can buy Christmas presents. The, the kind of love that, that gives free shoes and school supplies and haircuts to kids every year. The, the kind of love that's given over $200,000 to kingdom builders above and beyond tithe for the last two years. The kind of love that welcomes strangers at the door like their family. Actually, I know this because I know some of your guys' stories that, that the reason that you're here today is because you walked in on a Sunday morning and somebody was so welcoming to you. So, so, somebody somebody showed a, shared a love with you that, that was not common in any way. 
uh, and has kept you here. The kind of love that goes out of your way to help uh, a mother who's just had a baby, to, to, to cook meals and to, to help out with kids. The kind, of, the kind of love that goes above and beyond. So you're a church that loves people. You are. You get it. You understand it. And honestly, it's a lot like what the church in Thessalonica was like. That Paul uh, came here, he came to Thessalonica and, and he told them about Jesus and they just got it. They just understood it and they just started loving people like crazy. That they were known in the area as a place and a group of people that loved people. So he, he writes to them in this letter uh, and, and he writes to them because they need a little bit of encouragement. They lived in an area uh, where sexual immorality was the norm. Most of the Jewish leaders in that time that, that were there uh, were very hostile to the message of Jesus. And honestly, YOLO was just like the mantra of the day. Like, you only live once, so live it up. And so they, they lived for themselves. They had no regard for those around them. So Paul writes to encourage them to stand in the face of all this opposition. Stand up against opposition with love. So in chapter 4, Paul is saying this. Um, He's, he's encouraging them. He's, he's building them up. And in chapter 4 uh, of 1 Thessalonians, he says this in verse 9. He says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. In other words, this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're doing a great job. He says, the way that you love people uh, is amazing, and I'm proud of you. The, the way that you love people moves the heart of God. God, God is so happy with the way that you love people because you get it. Then he goes on, he says, yet we urge you. And that, 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 that way, when he says we urge you, it's not just like a, a nudge. It's more like a, a challenge or, or a command. Like we urge you then, brothers, to do so more and more. We urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. So why does Paul say this? They're, they're doing a great job. They're actually known as, as a group of people that love people better than anybody else. But Paul says, love them more and more because he knows this. The world that they lived in, the world that they were a part of, that's the only thing that would work was love. That common wouldn't cut it anymore. That what they'd done was great, but more and more. A love that was greater than any one night stand. A love that was, that was greater than anything money could ever give. A love that, that far surpassed the shallowness of relationships in their life. You see, we live in a world that's full of brokenness. You don't have to hardly go, go anywhere or, or, or do much to see the brokenness in our world, the hurts in our world. You can see it everywhere around you. And so Paul writes to them, and I believe he writes to us this morning to say this, that the answer to brokenness in our world is an uncommon love. The answer to brokenness in our world is an uncommon love. To, to love people in a way that's so different, to love people in a way like Jesus, the way Jesus loved us is now how we should love those around us. That the way Jesus gave up his time, the way Jesus gave up his energy, the way that he gave up his life for us is now the way that we should love other people. And so Paul writes in this letter uh, to encourage us and to give us a little bit of help to maybe understand what an uncommon love looks like. So he writes to us in, in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And um, he says this uh, to kind of give them a little bit of direction, to kind of help them understand what he's doing. In the, first, in the beginning of this letter, he's, he's just saying how much he loves them, how, much, how, how grateful he was for them, how he, how he misses them. And in verses 7 and 8, I, I love what he says here. It's one of my favorite passages. He says... 
When we visited you, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. It says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. You see, Paul had a deep, deep love for these people. He loved them so much. Actually, you, you see a lot in Paul's letters how much he loved each of the churches that, he, that he'd went to, that he uses all kinds of family language. He says things like, um, like, like, a, like a mother, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her children. Later in this chapter, he actually uses the analogy of a father. So a lot of this family language. But then he says uh, over and over and over in his letters, he says the term brothers. Actually, in Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, he uses the term brothers 60 times, 60 times in his letters to different churches. And when he says brothers, what he, what he's, he's not just talking about the leaders of the church. He's not even just talking about the men of the church. He's talking about the whole church, everybody in the church. He's saying, my brothers. And he doesn't use the word brothers like, like I do, where I say bro, or I, I say bro like twice in one sentence, okay? Sometimes it's out of control, right? It's not like that. It's more like you are my blood, my family, my brothers. So he says to them, brothers, over and over, he's always using this family language. And this is something that is really significant that I, that I was, as I was studying this. Um, 27 out of the 60 times that he uses that term brothers in his letters are in First and Second Thessalonians. 27 out of, the, out of the 60 are right here in First and Second Thessalonians to this church, to this group of people. So I'm not here to say that Paul had favorites but what I am saying is that the brothers speak for themselves, right? There's a lot of brothers right here in these two books and this, to this group of people. And so what he's doing is he, he loves them very much. He's encouraging them. Uh, and honestly, these people had become family to him. These people had become more than just friends, more than just people that he talked about Jesus to. It's not that he just came in and preached to people and didn't, didn't have a relationship with them. But actually, this is what I believe Paul is kind of showing us as an uncommon love. An uncommon love treats people like their family. An uncommon love treats people like their family. You see, I, uh, I come from a pretty big family. Um, the Beckett family is pretty big. And, um, and the thing is, is that we're, we're getting bigger as the days go on because we have, a, we have a, a lot of little ones in the house right now. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around like a family get together stuff when there's a lot of little ones, but it's just total chaos, right? Um, but even without all the little ones, uh, my family is just, my family is known for being loud. My family is constantly late. There's always somebody singing, okay? That's just, that's the Beckett family. Um, and my whole life, uh, we have all got together uh, for, for like any excuse we had. For, for holidays, we all go to my grandma's house. Anytime um, that there is just an, an opportunity, a Chiefs game, anytime we got a Chiefs game, we're all at my grandma's house to watch the game together. Um, and any chance we have, but it's not just like, it's everybody. It's my, it's my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my, my great-aunt and uncle. And, and then it's just crazy. Every time we get together, it's, it's the best. And I remember uh, bringing Abby, uh, my wife, to, to meet my family. I remember it was, uh, I was trying to prep her for, for what she was about to encounter, right? You know what I mean? So I, here's what I did. I got on Facebook and I, and I just began to show her, uh, I'd walk her through everybody in my family. I said, hey, this is this person and this is how I'm related to them. And these are the questions that they will probably ask you, right? And, uh, and my wife is very type A, so she's like pretty much taking notes, right? <laughs> All right, I'm going to pass this test. Um, so I, I, I bring her, uh, and, and Thanksgiving's a big deal at my grandma's house, so I bring her for Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving football in the morning, and then we go over to my grandma's house uh, for, for lunch later in the day. And I remember 
bringing her and my family, man, they, they pulled out all the stops. Uh, my, my uncle Lyle tried to convince her that he had a glass eye, which is not true. <laughs> it was wild. And then uh, I, I just remember everybody's asking her all these invasive questions, and she's a star, so she did a great job. She handled herself like a champ. And, um, and I remember then what happens is, is Abby you know, saw somebody else, and she goes, say, hey, who is that again? And I said, oh, that's my aunt. And she said, okay. Um, so how are, you, how are they related to you again? And I was like, actually, they're not. <laughs> I was like, uh, there's no blood relation. She's just, I mean, she's been there my whole life. I, that's all, I've only ever called her an aunt. And so she, she's kind of like an aunt, but she's not. And, and this, is, this is what it was like for Abby. Abby's like, so you're telling me that you said there's a test. I made a study guide. And then you put something on the test that wasn't on the study guide, right? That's how she felt about it. <laughs> But that's how my family is. My, for, for, as, for as long as I can remember, my grandparents have welcomed anybody into, into our home for, for family dinners. I, there's actually, one of our friends still comes around all the time. Anytime we have a get-together, he shows up, he says hi to everybody, he makes a plate of food, and then he's gone before anybody's even seen him again, right? It's just like, it's just normal in my, in my family. And I've, what I've seen this in this is I've seen my family, I've seen my grandparents and my parents treat people like family, like, people felt like family when they came to, to my grandma and grandpa's house. And as I've watched this, I, I've, I've learned a few things that, that I think really make people feel like family and go, that, that go from just having people there to making them feel like family. And the first thing that, I, that I've seen p- people do is, is when you call someone by name, that it makes them feel like family. We live in a world that's full of, hey, dude, hey, bro, girl. Pow, like you panic in the moment and you just, whatever comes out. But we live in a world full of it um, as opposed to calling people by their name. I heard somebody say one time that the, the sweetest sound to any person in, in, in their language is the sound of their own name. That calling somebody by name uh, speaks worth and value that you, you took the time to remember. And, and I think a lot of times what happens is we, we think to ourselves, I, I'm not really good at remembering names. I'm not really good at at uh, I, I can remember a face, but I, it's really hard for me to remember a name. But listen, when you, when you call someone by their name, it speaks value, it speaks worth, and it speaks family. So the people around us that we, that we come into contact with, let's, I mean, do what we got to do. Let's buy a book. Let, let, let's take a memory seminar, right? So we can remember some names and treat people like family. The next thing I've seen is, is eating meals at our house makes other people feel like family. There's something really special about taking somebody out to dinner. Say, hey, can I take you out to dinner uh, and, and buying their meal? I mean, that, that, that really is special. You can really connect with some people in a really, really great way. But there's something different that happens when you let somebody into your home, right? When somebody steps into your home and you eat a meal together, people feel like family. That they, they learn where you keep your trash can, Right? Which is, a great, which is a great thing to know. They, they, they learn, uh, are you a shoes off at the door kind of family or not? Are they, they, they learn, do you have house rules? Do, how, how do things function here? Like, for instance, in our house, we have this rule of no farting at the table, right? That's just the rule in our house. And everybody knows when you walk in the door because it is punishable by 10 push-ups, okay? And I am the repeat offender, okay? I have not learned. But when somebody comes into your home, when somebody comes in and they, they eat with you and you eat a meal, something special happens. People feel like family. The other thing that I, I've seen is that when you ask people about their life, they feel like family. So often in my life, what I've done is I've met somebody um, 
and I, I didn't really ask a whole lot maybe about their life, but I think, you know, well, we're going to work together, we're going to be around each other, and I'll just kind of organically kind of learn these things. I'll kind of figure out, you know, where they're from, what they like, what they dislike, and what happens is that I, I never end up actually hearing those things, or only in bits and pieces. But when you take the time and you ask somebody about their life, when you ask somebody about what they've been through, their story, you ask them the things that, that they like, that it's like, where are you from? Do you have kids? Like, what is that like? Um, what it does is it makes somebody feel like family. You see, Paul loved this church in Thessalonica so much that he shared with them not only the gospel, but his own life. He shared his time, his priorities. He, he ate meals with them. He talked with them, just stayed up and just talked about their lives. And even though they weren't, he treated them like family. But honestly, this is what I think happens so often in our lives. I think that we think that that's a really good thing. We, we, we acknowledge that, but we excuse ourselves from treating people like their family because we think things like this. We think things like, uh, I don't know if I even have time to give in my life. I, I don't know if, if I'll even work here that much longer. So I, I, don't, I don't know if, it, if that's like, if I should do that. This is only a temporary thing that, that I don't think I should give my whole self to people. But we, we, and we love people like that. We love people like we won't ever have to see them again after we get the promotion or after we move on or graduate. We, we love people with this temporary mindset. And in Acts 17, you can actually read uh, about when, when Paul goes to, to Thessalonica to plant this church. In, in Acts 17, you can see, uh, it doesn't tell us explicitly how long he stayed there, but what it does tell us is this. It says that after only three weeks in Thessalonica, that a large crowd had formed. A lot of people had given their lives to Jesus and a large crowd had formed. And it, would, it couldn't have been much longer after that that the Jewish leaders were trying to get rid of Paul. And so uh, scholars believe that it was anywhere from like four to five months of how long that he actually got to spend in Thessalonica. And when he had to leave, he didn't even get a chance to say goodbye because he had to run for his life. And when Paul came to Thessalon- Thessalonica, he knew this. He knew uh, the political, the moral, the religious climate of the city. He knew that it wouldn't allow him to stay long, but he loved people like he was going to stay there forever. He shared his life with them and treated them like family for every single minute that he was there. Because he recognized this, that an uncommon love treats people like their family. The next thing that Paul shares with them is in chapter 5 of, of, of 1 Thessalonians. and um, It's essentially this, that, that an uncommon love loves difficult people. And I, hold on, I, I, you're not allowed to look at your neighbor, um, but does anybody in this room know any difficult people? Just by show of hands. Anybody know some difficult people? Okay. Some of you guys need to go meet some more people because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of them out there. <clears throat> Don't look at your neighbor though, really. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. This is what Paul says. He says, and we urge you, remember that we urge you is not, not, a, not a nudge, but it, it's like a, uh, I challenge you to do this. We urge you, brothers, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And when you look at this and you read it, it, it this, this was actually written in Greek. And, and, and a lot of times when you, when you look at the, the meaning of the Greek word, you can actually see a little bit more than what we see at face value with just this translation. And uh, when you look at these words, it, it says to, to warn the idle. And the idle, what that meant was like, it was like the freeloaders, the unruly, 
uh, the careless, the selfish people, those people, that's the idol, warn the idol. He says to, to encourage the timid. And the word it used for, for timid was the little souls, the faint-hearted. In other words, uh, the quitters, okay? The people who always see the world uh, with a glass half empty and then they give up. Uh, he says, then uh, help the weak. And when he's saying weak, he's not saying weak in stature. Or he's not saying uh, weak in finances. What he's saying is, is the weak in faith. He says, those who get excited about Jesus leave church on Sunday and go right back to the, the way they were living before because their, their, their faith is so weak. See, what Paul does is he highlights some seriously difficult people. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. Every single one of us has found ourselves in places like this a time or two, okay? So don't leave this place saying that I, I, I said you were a difficult person. I didn't say that. You're not. You're wonderful. But Paul says this. He says, hey, he says, go love people with an uncommon love. And we're like, good word. I love that. That's a good word, Paul. And then he says this. He goes on. He says, uh, so take some time to help the careless and selfish people around you out. And we're like, oh, really? Okay. I mean, I guess if that's what you think uncommon love is, that's what I'll do. Uh, and then he says, now, now go find some quitters, take them out to lunch, and spend the afternoon encouraging them. And we, we say like, okay, yeah, yeah. But what you don't understand, Paul, is that uh, my afternoons are kind of busy. It's not really going to work for me. Uh, it's not really the best use of my time. But, but that's a good thought. I like that thought. Um, go encourage some quitters. I love it. Um, and then he goes on. He says, hey, find some spiritually weak people. Start meeting with them on a regular basis and help them. And we're like, okay, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Or I can grab a second bag, red bag in the lobby. I can fill that one with groceries and I'm gonna bring it back uncommon love. And we're like, God, we gotta figure it out. This is gonna be good. And, and here, do you know why? Let me just tell you why. This is why we don't wanna do this because loving difficult people is exhausting. It is just, I mean, just ask my wife. She knows, right? <laughs> She's a, I am a difficult person and I've got two little boys who are just like me, right? We've got her outnumbered. She can't, she can't stand up against us. I love you, babe. Um, <clears throat> loving, loving difficult people is exhausting. Uh, but Paul gives us a little bit of answer of, of how we should love difficult people. He says, be patient with everyone. He says, Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. When I read that at first, I kind of just read it as a list of things that we're supposed to do, like, oh yeah, so we should warn, yeah, we should encourage, we should help, uh, and also be patient. But really what he's saying is this, is he's, he gives you these three difficult people, and then he says, hey, you want to know how to love those people? By being patient with everyone. I love the way he says it in, in 1 Timothy 1, 16. Um, Paul, Paul's talking about uh, what God's done in his life. He's talking about what he's received. And he says, he says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. I love that. I love that. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. That it's, it's, it's endless. It's unlimited that he, he loves us so much. And, that, and, you know, here's the thing that I think that each of us in our lives, uh, it doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, who we're doing it with, we all will have opportunities to display immense patience. We're always going to have the opportunities where, where Paul, Paul says that if you want to love people in a way that's not common, in a way that's not average, go love them. Go be immensely patient with them. So in my life... Um, 
I, I, this is, I get to do it all the time. It's wonderful. Um, we have two little boys, um, Judah, who's two and a half years old, Isaiah, who's eight months old. And um, this last week has actually been a, a really, really big week for our family. It's been a lot of cool things, a lot of exciting things. But this last week, uh, we actually, we just moved to Cedar Rapids, right? We sold our house in North Liberty, and we moved to Cedar Rapids as we get ready for this, this launch. Um, and living, uh, moving is always fun, right? You know, it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> lots of boxes, lots of stuff. But, you know, we, it, it was a big, big day for us, big week. Um, and then actually uh, just this last week, our, our son Isaiah, the eighth month old, he just started crawling, right? Which is super cool, super exciting. We're taking videos. As parents, you know, we, we kind of know that it's very exciting that he's crawling, but now we have two mobile children, right? So <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little pro and con list to go with that. Um, but then also our, our, our two and a half year old Judah lost his flipping mind this last week, okay? <laughs> That's the only way to describe what, ha- what has happened in our home. You see... This is what I think happened. Somewhere in the move, um, he lost, he completely lost his ability to listen to me, okay? He, uh, he, he, he's a two-year-old, right? So he's destructive, he's independent, but he cannot, it's like he can't listen to me at all anymore. And, um, and I, I've, I've told Abby, I was like, I, I don't know if, if we just, if that box just didn't make it to the new house. Is it just somewhere sitting back at the old house? Is it, I'm out in the garage like, hey, babe, have you seen his listening ability? Like... <laughs> That's how I feel. I mean, that's how I feel about moving in general, but like, that's how I feel about this. And um, so this is what happens. Um, Judah will be playing with something that I, I don't want him to play with. For instance, he'll be playing with a cup or a bowl or a, a movie or a, a book or a pair of scissors. Yes. Um, and because he, he wants to play with everything that he's not supposed to have. So, so I'll, I will look at him and I will ask him, I'll say, hey, Judah, would you, would you put that down? And, he, and he'll just ignore me. He won't even look up at me. So uh, as a dad, you, you kind of get this super gift from the Lord. It's called a dad voice, okay? And so, uh, so I'll, look, I'll look at him again, and I'll say, I'll say, son, put that down. And this is, where, this is where it takes a turn. He looks at me, and he says, no. <laughs> the gasp. He says, no, and something just like wells up within me, right? It just, oh, it just gets me. <laughs> so this is what I do. I stand up. And I, and, I, and I quicken my walk towards him to go and take from him what he has that he's not supposed to have. And this is what my two-year-old does. He takes the scissors in his hand. He sees me coming. He throws them one way and runs the other. <laughs> he's like, you want it so bad? Go get it. <laughs> he's not about it. And honestly, I wish that the point of this story right now was so that I could tell you that like our Heavenly Father, who is so immensely patient with us, I am immensely patient with my son. But nope. (laughs) This is what happens. He throws the scissors. He runs the other way. I am no longer concerned about the scissors as I sprint up the stairs behind him to get him. As I chase him, I grab him, I catch him, and there must be something about this moment where there there's a, must be a look in my eye that I haven't seen that he just instantly starts crying, right? I've got him, like, no, no, and um, he's crying, and, and I, I don't know what, what happens, but let me just, like, all that is real, all that is, is very funny, but what happens after this next moment is, is not the prettiest, because my son, he's crying, and, 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 I'm, and I'm grabbing him, and I'm like, so why did you do that? What, what, what's wrong with you? Why, why, why won't you listen? Why can't you just get this? And I'm, and I'm just like laying into him, just telling him all, all these things that, he's, that he didn't do right. And man, I just, in that moment, I'm holding him. He's crying. 
and I just feel so like I wish I could do it over again. Like I could take back what I just said to him. Like I could, like I, I, I could exercise this opportunity to be immensely patient with my son, but I blow it. You see, God is so immensely patient with me. God has been so immensely patient with me in my life. Every single time that I've said, God, I'm going to do better, and I fall back into the same mistakes, he's still patient with me. Every single time that I've said, God, I'm going to stop sinning, and I go back to it, he's immensely patient with me. And you know what? When I, when I think about that, that's how I want to love people. I want to love people by being immensely patient. I want to love my boys like that. I want to be immensely patient with my sons. I want to love my coworkers and my neighbors and my friends like that. I want to be so immensely patient. Because here's the thing, we all have difficult people. We will always have difficult people in our lives. That's not changing. But if we want to love people in a way that redeems brokenness in other people's lives, if we want to love people in a way that breaks cycles that have been going on for years, then we've got to love people by being immensely patient. Nobody else is doing it, so why not us? So this morning, um, I think that the question that we, we have to ask ourselves is, is, is not, is not uh, are, are you the right person uh, for the job? Are you the right person to go out and love these people in your life? I think the question uh, this morning is, is, are you willing? Are you willing to love people with an uncommon love? See, because we love stories of uncommon love. We love hearing, uh, it warms our heart, it encourages us to hear stories like Gladys Elward who, who gives her, her life to save all these orphans. We love to hear that. But are we willing to count the cost and love people like that? Because at the end of Gladys Elward's life, I, I love what she said, that she, she was asked about you know, all, all what she did and, and this is what she says. She said, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, a well-educated man, I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and he saw Gladys Elward. And he said, well, she's willing. You see, a lot of times we don't think that we're the person for the job because we don't think we're patient enough. We don't think that we're the person for the job because we're not good at hosting people in our homes or we're not good at remembering names. But let me tell you, like, God's not asking for us to, to have it all figured out. Actually, none of us do. But he says, hey, if you're willing, I can use that. Man, I can use that. I can, I can use you to love people in a way that you've never done before. So come on, all across this room, I want to give you just a, a moment really quickly to respond to this. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Um, I believe it's important that we respond uh, to what God's speaking to us and put, put some action to it. Um, this morning, uh, I just want to ask you a couple questions. And I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if, if that's you today, just so I know who I'm praying with, so I know who we're in this with. And uh, maybe today you're here and, and something about this, this morning spoke to you. Maybe uh, a, even a specific person came to your mind or, or you just, you're, you're feeling that, that God is calling you to something more, calling you to more and more. And, and you're saying, hey, God, uh, I'm willing to love people with an uncommon love. I'm willing to do more and more. I'm willing to go beyond what's common. I'm willing to treat people like family. I'm willing to, to show them immense patience. If that's you this morning, you say, hey, I, I just want to say, just by show of hands, 
that I, I am willing to love people with an uncommon love. If that's you, would you just shoot up your hand? Come on, I see those hands. I see those hands. Come on, all across this room. They're up everywhere. Come on. Come on. I want to love people. I'm willing to love people in an uncommon way. Put your hands down. I want to ask you another question real quick. Maybe you're here this morning and, um, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You hear about this love, you hear about this immense patience that God has with you, and, but you don't, if you're honest, you don't have a relationship with him. And maybe at some point you did have a relationship with him, but, but now you don't, now, now you're, you're not living for him. And this morning you say, hey, you know what? I, I want that. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to love people like that. But, but let me just be honest with you. I don't think that you can love, I, I don't think you can give what you haven't received. So maybe the love that you've experienced in your life has never looked anything like this. Maybe the love that other people, the patience that other people have extended to you has looked nothing like this. That God says, hey, just come to me. I've got something better for you. I've got something so much better for you. Would you just give your life to me so that I, I can just show you what this love looks like? If that's you here today, you say, you know what? Hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to make a decision to have a relationship with Jesus today. Would you just shoot up your hand? Nobody's looking around. Come on, I see those hands. Come on, I see them. I see it. I see it. Come on. It's a bold step to say, God, I want a relationship with you this morning. See. You can put your hands down and all across the room. I'm just going to ask. I'm, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you today, if you, if you want, if you want to make that decision to have a relationship with Jesus, I'm, just, I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me. I'm just going to ask you to agree in your heart with this prayer. Let this be what you leave here saying. That God, I want a relationship with you. So, Heavenly Father, right now, God, we 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 just look to you and say that we we want to love like that. We recognize that, that, that we're sinners. We recognize that we make mistakes. But Lord, we don't want that anymore. We, we need your help. So would you come in? Would you change our lives? Would you show us a love that we've never experienced? God, I pray that you would just begin to, to lift us to new heights. Bring us higher. Bring us back to you. Bring us closer. So Lord, today we choose a relationship with you.